Pastor Tony is a graduate of Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. He is the author and editor of several books, including On Being Black and Reformed, and also Glory Road, The Journeys of Ten African Americans into Reformed Christianity, and most recently, uh, published, uh, just recently came out, uh, is Blood Work, How the Blood of Christ Accomplishes Our Salvation. Uh, in, in the small little stream of the American church that, that we swim in, uh, Pastor Tony is a well-known and very respected leader. So we were, we were actually kind of surprised when he accepted our invitation, uh, but we were very glad that he did. So join me, please, in welcoming to Crosspoint, Pastor Tony Carter. We're on? There we go. Well, indeed, thank you, thank you, thank you, Brad, for your uh, kind invitation. Thank you for your, for your kind words. Indeed, it is a, a pleasure to be here uh, this evening and to share with you on this wonderful, glorious uh, subject and topic um, that is dear to all of our hearts. Indeed, I am joined today by my, um, my wife, Adrienne. And some dear friends of ours from the church, the Fowlers and the Duncansons. I am, um, I do a little bit of travel, not as much as I, I used to, but it's always a joy when I'm and my wife is able to travel with me and uh, our friends are able to travel as well. We do have five children and uh, they're getting up in age so we can sneak out a little more often uh, than, we, than we used to. Um, I'm finding though when they were small, I... I had a lot more time to write, and uh, now that they've gotten busy, I don't have as much time to write because I need to work a little more. They get a little more expensive. <laughs> um, what a joy it is to, uh, to be here with you and to share with you on this glorious topic, um, adopted, uh, and with the word adopt out of there, giving the idea uh, when I see that, the understanding that um, we adopt um, in large measure because we understand that we have been adopted. And so this, this evening I want to share with you and unpack that a little bit so that we can better understand that our adopting and, and placing uh, orphans and and the fatherless into our homes is a reflection of the glorious agenda of God in placing the fatherless into his household. That we have been adopted by God into the family of God. And so now we are able to call God our Father. I want to share a little bit from a text of Scripture. We'll look at it a little bit in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Just a couple of verses there, down to verse 6, where the inspired Word of God reads as follows. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be called holy and 
blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do this morning and this evening once again um, glory in the fact that you have adopted us into your family. Unworthy, wayward sinners, you graciously in Christ Jesus came to us and found us, rescued us, and received us as your own, and gave us the rights and the privileges of calling you Father, so that now we are no longer foreigners or strangers, as your word says. But we are fellow citizens, citizens, indeed members of your household, your sons and your daughters. Remind us of this again by your spirit so that we might understand anew our calling to manifest your love in the world by demonstrating your adopting grace in a world that so needs it. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the ministries that are being uh, represented here. And most of all, thank you for Jesus who makes this all possible and indeed who makes it worthwhile. It is in his name that we pray all these prayers. Amen. <clears throat> you know, it was Eleanor Roosevelt uh, we believe who said that um, great minds talk about ideas, average minds talk about events, and small minds talk about people. Well, this evening, I want to talk to you about a grand, grand idea. And it is a grand idea, not because it comes from my mind, but because it comes from the mind of God. In fact, I would submit to you uh, this evening that it may be the grandest idea in all of human history. The Bible says in the text that we just read that as Christians we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And these blessings, as we should understand, these blessings are innumerable. And if you ever sat down, and, and perhaps you, you might want to, if you ever sat down and began to count the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, there is no doubt that you would run out of time before you ran out of blessings. And yet whatever blessing that we have, the Bible here reminds us that this blessing comes because we are in union with Christ. Every blessing we have is because as Christians we are united with Christ. We are in union with him who has blessed us, the Bible says, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
And what I want to submit to you this evening, that the high watermark of those blessings that we have because we are in Christ is the reality that because of our union with Christ, we have received adoption into the family of God as children Even as he chose us, our text says, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Here is the grandest idea in all of redemptive history that God determined to bless a people by adopting them into his family, whereby now they call him father, and he refers to them as sons and daughters. Blessed is a wonderful thing because blessed is what God is. And blessed means to be favored. It, it, it means to be spoken well of. It means to be highly esteemed and highly praised. And as, as blessed as it is that we delight in God and delight in his creation, it is particularly beautiful to know that God desires to bless his people. To esteem them highly. To think highly of them. That's one thing. For us to think highly of God. It's an altogether different thing. To understand that God thinks highly of us. Because he says... We are his sons and daughters. In the scriptures, I am convinced that there perhaps is no greater blessing than being adopted into the family of God. What does adoption mean? Well, in his, in his book, uh, J. Stephen Yule says that adoption is the permanent placement of a child in a family with all the rights and privileges associated with that family. It's the permanent placement of a child into a family with all the rights and privileges associated with being a member of that family. Taking that and understanding what the Bible means about adoption when it speaks of how God has adopted us, think of it this way, that in the scriptures, when it comes to God adopting us, that adoption is the sovereign, gracious act of God whereby he declares rebellious sinners to be his sons and daughters, placing them permanently and eternally in his family, granting to them all the rights and privileges that belong to being a member of the family of God. 
You think of it in those terms and you understand why J.I. Packer says, J.I. Packer says that adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Higher than justification owing to the richer relationship with God it involves. John Murray said, adoption is the apex of redemptive grace and privilege. The priority of that blessed adoption, I think, is seen in our text here. If we might understand it correctly, for the Bible tells us at least three things from this text concerning this grand privilege and blessing that we have from God in Christ. It gives us an an understanding. It gives us insight into what God has done and what God desires for us to know and how he desires for us to live in this blessing that is adoption. And it does so by telling us the when, the how, and the why of our adoption. The when. You see that? The when. God chose us as sons and daughters, the Bible says here, before time. It is a pre-temporal design of God. He chose us, it says, in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Before the worlds were formed, God was busy. Before he formed the world, God was busy and not designing the planets per se, beloved, but he was decreeing his family. He had his designs on being a father and adopting children. You might refer to it as divine planned parenthood. Here is God designing before anything existed his family. Adoption was God's plan from the very beginning. Why why, why is that important? Why is that important? That is important for this reason. Because some people adopt because they have tried the natural means of parenthood and they have found themselves frustrated and consequently not being able to have children through natural processes, they pursue adoption. Well, praise God. Praise God that that happened. But, but, but I want us to understand something very important here. And that is adoption for God was not plan B. God's design and decree from all eternity was to choose a people for his own glory. From all of eternity for his own pleasure. A people upon whom he would lavish His adopting love. He chose. That's what the Bible says. And this should remind us 
to that we are not by nature naturally children of God. Not, not by nature, not by natural birth, contrary to what some might believe, everyone is not a child of God. The Bible says here that he chose, he chose those who at some point, the Bible says in John chapter 8 and verse 44, could be referred to as children of the devil. In Ephesians chapter 2 and and verse 2, we are called before Christ sons and daughters of disobedience. In verse 3, we are said to be by nature children of wrath. And yet, we are not members of God's family by accident. As if it was an unexpectedly we showed up on God's doorstep and he felt sorry for us and took us in. No, but on the contrary, from the very beginning, his plan is divine adoption. He chose us. He chose us before the time. And yet, even though he chose us before time, the the idea that the Bible wants us to understand is that that choice that he made before time became a reality in the fullness of time. It says in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so they might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. Granted all the rights and privileges that belong to being a permanent member in the household of God. It's Wilhelm Sabrakel, a Dutch theologian who said concerning adoption, that in adoption... We have been taken from being a child of the devil to becoming a child of God. From being a child of wrath to becoming the object of God's favor. From a child of condemnation to becoming an heir of all the promises and a possessor of all the blessings. And therefore, and therefore, If we understand that our adoption into the family of God is in accordance with the divine decree of God from the very beginning, and it was not not a plan B option, then adoption should not be viewed even in our world as the last option of a series of unfortunate events. God didn't settle for us because he couldn't have his own children. And those who pursue adoption because the natural means of having children is not open to them, 
You should not see that as plan B, but see that as the ordained plan of God from the very beginning for you, that those children that now come into your family was God's determined design for your family from the very beginning. It's never a series, the result of a series of unfortunate events. It is always in accordance with his divine, perfect plan. His from all eternity and yours and mine in time. You see the when there, and you also see the how. That God chose us to be his sons and daughters according to the wonders of his love. In love, the Bible says, he predestined that we would be children. In love, he predestined us for adoption. And this, we see then, is the heart really of the gospel. The heartbeat of the gospel is adoption. This is wonderful to contemplate. If, if justification is the head of the gospel, then adoption is the heart. Justification frees us from guilt and sin, but adoption welcomes us into the Lord's family, gives us a room and a seat at the table. In justification, the righteous judge declares that we are free. In adoption, the loving father says, now come home with me. Adoption pictures the gospel because it pictures God's intimacy and love for his people. The fatherhood of God is not seen in justification. God as Father is understood as the Bible reveals the blessings that are adoption in the gospel. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. What love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God because we are. They tell us that love is blind, don't they? I'm not always convinced of that. For when I saw my wife, she looked awfully good to me. She still does, don't you, darling? Yes, she do. And yet in one sense, God's love is blind. For you see, when God adopted us, he didn't see anything in me that would cause him to set his affection upon us. On me. There was no twinkle in my eye. There was no tenderness in my touch. There was no joy in my smile. There was only wretchedness. 
And this is why the songwriters are so right. When they, when they write how great the Father's love for us, how vast beyond measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And that is what he has done, beloved. In love, he chose you, predestined you. For adoption. It was the, um, the motivational speaker, Les Brown. And as he was a grown man, he discovered that he had been adopted as a child. And he tells a story of how he really struggled with that. He struggled with that because once he began to learn that he had been adopted, he struggled with the fact that his original mother and father rejected him. And almost sent him into depression because he couldn't imagine how bad he must have been that his original mother and father didn't want him. And one day he was talking to one of his friends and his friends said, you're looking at this all wrong. It's not so much that your mother and father rejected you, except that your adoptive mother and father chose you in love. You were chosen. You see, when my parents had me, all they had, all they had was what came out. <laughs> what you see is what you get. But your parents... They chose you in love on purpose. You belong to them. And it was out of their love for you that they chose you. So it is with God. God chose you on purpose. Amazing. Amazing. How deep then the Father's love for us vast beyond measure that he would give his only son to make this wretch his treasure. I was listening to Chris McGuire tell the story of how they treasure their little one and kept thinking, wow, if he knows how to treasure his children, that he has chosen. How much more does God know to treasure the ones that he chooses? In love is how. Why? Why? Well, the text says, he chose us in love before time according to the purpose of the good pleasure of his will. The good pleasure of his will. The unmoved will of God was moved to set his affection on us so that we might live to the praise of his glory. That's why. It pleased God to choose you. It pleased him to adopt us. 
Why? I like what the hymn writer says. I cannot tell why he whom angels worship should set his love upon the sons of men. Or why as a shepherd he should seek the wanderers to bring them back. I know not how or when. I don't know except I do know that he was pleased to do so. It pleased him to do so. Now I keep saying that because God's pleasure is not like your pleasure and my pleasure. God is totally free. He is pleased to do whatever he wants to do. Psalm 115 reminds us our God is in the heaven and he does all that he pleases. I think it was Shailen who reminded us of that too. Our God is in the heaven and he does all that he pleases. He established a king in Zion and his name is Jesus. <laughs> Sovereign Lord, great I am, recognize the name. He's always on top of his game, a lion that simply cannot be tamed. Come on, Phil, let's get up and do this. <laughs> Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. And he's established a king in Zion, and his name is Jesus. And this God, who can do whatever he pleases to do, has been pleased to adopt you and me. The God who is unmoved. There's nobody twisting his arm. There's nobody giving, uh, putting a guilt trip on God, saying, look at all those lost sinners out there. Why don't you do something about it? He is unmoved, except by his own good pleasure. And it pleased him to bring you and me into his family as sons and daughters. It pleased him to make his will known to us, undeserved sinners, that we should be his beloved children of God. I don't know why he loved me. I don't know why he cared. I don't know why he sacrificed his life, but I'm glad. Oh, so glad. And he did. And this is the ends. This is the ends for which all things was created for the glory of God. And therefore, this is the ends for which we have been adopted into the family of God. For the glory of God. The reason God has blessed us and brought us into his family and, and bestowed upon us all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, it's so that we would live to the praise of the glory of God. These blessings are, we have as his, as his children, are remarkable. Not simply because of the when and, and the how and the why. But they are really blessings that belong to being in the family of God. 
first blessing is that you have God as your father. You have God as father. God is not just judge. He is not just master. He is not just creator. But God is Father. He is our loving provider and protector. He is the one who loves us best. And the one that we go to in need. Jesus taught us that, didn't he? Jesus taught us to pray to God as our Father. And this is not an an accident, beloved. Jesus wants us to realize the intimacy that we have with our God and Father. You know, my, my children are not bashful about asking me for things. The older ones don't do so as much now because they understand the limitations of their dad. And they've heard no quite a bit. But the younger one coming up, the last one coming up, she still has in her mind that her dad can do and give her almost anything. So she is often pleased to ask and to ask and to ask because she hasn't really caught on <laughs> to the limits of her father. You know that your heavenly father has no limits. And isn't it interesting? It seems that the older we get, the less we ask for. Because we have been convinced somehow, some way, that our father has limits on what he can do on what he can give. The Bible says that God is our Father, and therefore we should come to him. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. And now unto him, it says, who is able to do far and abundantly beyond anything that we can ask or think. That is who our Heavenly Father is. We not only have God as our Father, the Bible says that we have Christ as our brother. Christ is our brother. Christ is not only Savior, but as sons and daughters of God, Christ is our older brother. And the Bible says that he is a good brother. He is a good brother. I grew up, there was nine of us in our family. Seven boys and two girls. I am boy six. There were five brothers ahead of me and, and, and much older, I might, I might say. And therefore, whenever my brothers would go out and hang out and, and me or my younger brother would, would be around, their friends would always ask, why, why is he here? Your mother got you watching your little brothers again? And you always got the impression that your bigger brothers didn't want you around too much. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11, speaking of Christ? He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. 
He is not ashamed that we are his brothers and sisters. He is not ashamed of us before the Father. And that's why he is always, always interceding on our behalf and going before the Father on our behalf to secure all the blessings that we have from the Father in our heavenly brother because he is not ashamed to call us his sisters and brothers. He is a good brother. But he's not only a good brother, he is a gracious brother. You remember the story of the, the prodigal son? And when the prodigal son, the younger brother, came back home and how the older brother began to get worried. He done squandered all his, now he's come back to get mine. He has wasted all of his inheritance and now, Father, you want to share with him mine? Christ is a gracious brother. He is gracious in this sense, beloved. Unlike the older brother in the prodigal son, Jesus welcomes us into the family and delights to give us all the privileges, all the blessings, all the inheritance that belongs to him. It's his. It's his. And he delights to share them with all the sons and daughters of God. All the prodigals who come home. Jesus is that gracious brother welcoming all of us into the family of God with all the rights and privileges that belong to the sons and daughters of God. When I was a young boy and we were growing up, one of the things that my um, father would often say to my older brothers is, don't come home without your brother. Where y'all going? I don't know what you're doing, but don't come home without your brother. That has been pressed upon me, and I used to tell my son, we have, one, we have one son, and we have four daughters, and the son is the oldest. And whenever they would go out the house going anywhere, I said, son, don't you come home without your sisters. Don't you let me see you walking up that, that walk, and I don't see your sisters close behind. That's what a gracious brother does. That's what a good brother does. So it is with Jesus. You do understand. When he left heaven, the heavenly father said, Son, don't come home without your brothers and sisters. And when Jesus got home, he said, All that you have given to me, I have not lost one. The blessing and the privilege of having Jesus as your older brother is that he will not in eternity go home without all of them. If Jesus has made it to glory, so will you. 
If Jesus made it home to the Father, so will you. Because he will not go home without his brothers and sisters. Not only do you have God as Father, not only do you have Jesus Christ as brother, but you have Holy Spirit as guide and assurance. God the Father has not only set his affection upon all of his children, but he has sealed that deal. He has sealed that deal and given to us his spirit. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 14 and 15, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as son by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have the Spirit unto adoption, whereby now we are able to call God Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Now, I remember the first time I, would, I read that in the Bible, I thought of that musical group, you know, Abba. I really I had no idea. I said, man, that's where they got that from. <laughs> Maybe they did, I don't know, but... <laughs> And as I began to, to research that and um, began to see that, you know, nobody really, really, really knows what it means. But it is a, inherent within it is this term of endearment and affection. And I like it to my oldest son. My, my oldest son, he's a freshman in, in college um, right now. And when he was a little boy, and he was just growing up and learning to speak, he couldn't say daddy. And so he would say gaggy. Gaggy. That's what he would call me. Gaggy. He even learned how to spell it. I don't know. I don't know. He even learned how to spell it. G-A-G-G-Y. Gaggy. And as we start having other children, and the other children come along, and, and as he began to grow, he still called me Gaggy. And the other children, when they came along, they would call me Daddy. And so once, they all, once we all began to realize what was happening here, the, the younger children, the girls would say, you know, Tony, you need to stop calling Daddy Gaggy. You're too old now. You need to call him Daddy. Even his mother pulled him aside once a couple of times and said, son, I think it's too, I think, you know, we, we understand. You can say Daddy now. And to this day, if he was standing around us and, and we were all in here talking and all of a sudden he would reach out to me, he would say, Gaggy. And I can't tell you how many times we've been in the, in the, in the company of adult people and they look around and they say, who is Gaggy? <laughs> Gaggy is what my son calls me. Like Abba. And when I hear Gaggy, I know that is my son. That is the voice of my son. As, I've, as I have told my son, as long as he is pleased to call me Gaggy, I will respond. 
because I know where that comes from. That comes from the rights and privileges of being my son. It is a term of love and affection and endearment. And only my son calls me Gaggy. Only my son can call me Gaggy. <laughs> only God's children say Abba. Abba. And when they say Abba, he knows, that's my son. That's my daughter. That one belongs to me. This is what we have by the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Whereby now we say, Gaggy. We not only have the God as our Father, we not only have Jesus as our, our brother and Holy Spirit as our assurance, but we have the church as our family. The church as our family. For the church is the household of God. And those united with Christ are now united with each other, whereby we call each other brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters because we all have the same father. Brothers and sisters because we all belong to the same household. Brothers and sisters because we all share in the same privileges. Isn't that what it means to adopt? Is that now no matter where they came from, no matter where they started, no matter where they were, once they have been brought into the household and granted all the privileges and blessings that belong to the family, not only do they call mommy, mommy, not only do they call daddy, daddy, but now all the siblings are called brothers and sisters. Like Christ, if that is the case. And here is the challenge for us this evening. And like Christ, if we have God as Father and the church as our family, then like Christ, we must be about the Father's business. Remember when Jesus in Luke chapter 2 was a young boy of a of 13 years old and his mother and father lose track of him and they're wandering around for a day or so looking where is Jesus and when they come upon him he's in the temple and he's teaching the scribes he's teaching the teachers of the law concerning the law of God his mother comes to him and says Jesus we've been looking all about for you what are you doing and Jesus says, don't be concerned about me. I'm just going about my father's business. Because that is what we do. This is what Gerald Bray says in his systematic theology, God is love. He says, if we are members of God's family, then the family business becomes our business. The family
family business becomes our business. And what is the family business? The family business is deliverance. The family business is setting the captive free. The family business is bringing hope to the hopeless and sight to the blind and love to the loveless and reconciliation to the alien. The family business is welcoming the fatherless into the family. It's what God does. If you belong to him, if we are his children, and that's what we're called to do, well, for to be about our father's business. And what does our father do? He places the fatherless into families. His family. But you know, for God, adoption is not just child placement. It is that. But it's more than just child placement. It's reconciliation. And it's not just reconciliation. It is restoration. For in adoption, what is happening is that God is restoring the right relationship that he had with his creation in the beginning. So shall it will be greater in the end as he restores and makes all things new. Every time. We involve ourselves in the adoption and orphan care process. It is not simply placing a child in a home, but as Christians, we should see a grander scheme whereby we are taking part in God renewing all things for his glory. It is saying to that young child, God is making all all things new for you. And this is just a foretaste of the new creation that he has promised. You and I get to be a part of that. We get to play a part in showing forth the new creation that God has promised to come. I would say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, <clears throat> the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of that and the message of that reconciliation. And that's what, that is what adoption is. It is that message of reconciliation. And we get to demonstrate it in our homes, in our churches. We get to demonstrate the power of the gospel and making all things new. This, I hope you understand, you see now why adoption is such a grand 
privilege and blessing that we have received from God. Because he delights for us to know the magnitude of our relationship with him and what he is doing in this world for his glory now before his glory for all eternity. Let us pursue it. Pursue the gospel in all of his aspects and glory. Even the adoption of sons and daughters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening as you have reminded us once again of how you love us and care for us and delight to show your affection and shower us with your goodness. We do pray, Lord, that we would be faithful stewards of those blessings, of that goodness, and that we would live out what you have done for us so wonderfully. I thank you, Lord, for this church and and the heart that it has for the gospel and the demonstration of that gospel. I thank you for the ministries that are represented here this evening and, and their desire to do the same and seeking to bring renewal and reconciliation to this lost and broken world. I thank you for every heart and home here represented that delights in Jesus Christ and therefore delights in proclaiming that Christ to a lost and fatherless world. May the fatherless know you as Father and may we be instruments of that reconciliation. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.